based on that passage. And so all of this makes me really grateful to be a part of a church that not only allows us younger guys to get up here, but I feel like Redstone actually pushes us to do so, and it helps us to, or it pushes us to rely on the Lord. Um, So I've definitely seen the Lord work in my life this summer, and it has all made me extremely grateful. So anyways, with all that being said, I am very excited to share with you today what I feel like the Lord has revealed to me through his word about himself. Um, I think that the Genesis account of creation is a story that we can oftentimes overlook because we're so familiar with it. We hear it all the time. Um, But it's also good, I think, to dive deep into the first chapter of Genesis because I believe that the Lord does reveal so much more about himself through the story of creation, and there's just some attributes that we might overlook without careful, diligent study of the text. Um, And so before we move forward, I'd love for us to read through uh, chapter 1 of Genesis all the way through verse 19, and then if you would, pray with me as we look into God's Word. The Bible's right over here. There's not enough room on the podium. All right, Genesis 1, verse 1. This is God's word. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs, for seasons, and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Let's pray together. Lord, um, I thank you so much for the opportunity to stand up here 
and to share with the congregation what I feel like you have revealed to me through day four of creation. Father, I thank you for another opportunity to gather as the church um, and to sit under your word. Father, thank you for the opportunity to sing songs this morning and fellowship together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use me this morning as your vessel to speak clearly uh, to your church. I pray that your words would be encouraging and edifying to us. Lord, we thank you most of all for what your son Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. And Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Okay, now if you've been with us the past few weeks, you'll now you'll know now that we've looked at days one, two, and three of creation. And so far, God has created night and day. He separated the light, the light from the darkness. He separated the waters. And lastly, he's caused dry land to emerge. And from that land, there sprouted a variety of vegetation and plants. And so one thing I want to touch on before we move forward into day four of creation and Spencer touched on this a bit last week, but it's the shift that happens between days three and four. If you'll notice, day four is simply a continuation of what happens on day one. We saw already on day one that God, creates, God separated the light from the darkness, and we'll see that on day four, God is going to continue to create lights for spe- specific purposes. So I believe that it can be said that in days one through three, God was creating the different realms of creation. We have the sky, the land, and the water. He was building a kind of framework for what he was about to do on days four through six. Certainly we see God as a builder or an architect throughout the Genesis account of creation. Now, as we've read in verses 14 through 19, it says God fills the heavens with what scripture refers to as lights. And what we find in the passage is that he gives us these lights for specific purposes. Scripture says that these lights are to separate day and night. They're to be for signs, for seasons, for days and years. And they're to separate day and night. Excuse me, they're to give light on the earth. He also gives specific instructions to the greater light and the lesser light that he creates to rule over the day and to rule over the night. And so this is the basic structure of verses 14 through 19. God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars, and we see for what purposes they were created for. Now, as we've journeyed through this series, we've seen God create many things, but our goal as a church isn't to just simply look and marvel at what God created, but it's to look at what he created specifically and see what it reveals about him. So far, what we've seen of our Father is that he's orderly, In days one through three, he comes into the midst of chaos and he starts to separate things and he puts things in their place. He brings purpose to that which had no purpose before. He establishes order. Also, we see that God is powerful. I mean, who else do we know that can create anything from nothing simply by the words of his mouth? Only God is able to do this kind of thing and it's because of his infinite power. And then last week with the emergence of land and sprouting vegetation, we see that God is a God of variety and creativity. 
we now have all the different kinds of plants and trees, and because of those plants and trees, we have all the different kinds of fruits and vegetables and flowers and all things that are beautiful because of what God chose to show us through his creation of these things. We've seen so much of who our God is, and it's only been three days. God still has four more days to reveal more to us about who he is. So anyways, on day four, God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. Now growing up, uh, when I was in school, I was never a genius of a student. Um, I was always pretty average. I consistently made A's and B's and sometimes some C's. But if I had to say, my favorite subject was probably English. And the reason why is because I felt like I had a a pretty good understanding of English. um, And I also felt like I was decently good at it. I felt like I was a decent writer. Um, But I was definitely never into math or science. I couldn't stand math. I just didn't understand it whatsoever. But even though I was never really drawn to science, I always found myself so intrigued whenever we would talk about outer space in science class. Now, I don't know if you if any of you have ever watched the videos on YouTube of where they show the size comparison of all the different planets and stars, but I always found this to be so cool, so interesting. I always thought to myself, how could something be so enormous, so big out there? And so to help you put things into perspective and grasp just how big some of the stars and planets are, I've done a bit of research, and most of this research comes from NASA's website, which... I would imagine is is pretty reliable. So planet Earth is exactly 12,756 kilometers in circumference. All that means is it's the distance around the equator. It's how wide something is. Jupiter, which is the largest planet in our solar system, is 142,984 kilometers in, in diameter. It would take 1,300 Earths to fill the volume of Jupiter. Pretty crazy, huh? We haven't even gotten to stars yet. So our sun, which is at the center of our solar system, is 1 million kilometers in circumference. This means that the sun is about 109 times as great as the Earth's circumference. In other words, you could line up 109 Earths across the face of the sun. Now, I did some research to find out how big the largest recorded and discovered star is, and it's a star, I'm not sure how to say this name, but it's U-Y, the letters U-Y, Scuti, Suti, S-C-U-T-I, that's how it's spelled. I don't know how you say it. But anyways, it's 1,700 times larger than our sun, and it's referred to as what astronomers classify as a red hypergiant. Roughly 5 billion of our solar system's suns could fit inside this star. And so I've helped you, I've, I've spoken these facts to you, but to help you visualize it, I've got a couple pictures for us. Okay, so as you can see here, this is Earth down in the bottom right-hand corner, which is itty-bitty compared to Jupiter, which is the largest uh, planet in our solar system. Okay, and then as you can see here, Jupiter is right there in the bottom right-hand corner, and then the sun is behind it, which is massive. And then Earth is 
little tiny right there, as you can see. And then that is UI, however you say it, compared to our sun. So as you can see, you can't even really see the sun down here, but this is uh, the red hypergiant compared to our sun. So we're tiny. We're, we're itty-bitty. Um, or consider perhaps the phenomenon known as a black hole. Uh, these things are honestly a little bit freaky. They're kind of scary, but they're also super fascinating. Uh, so if you don't know what a black hole is, all it is is when a star like, like this one here, it's when it burns out, loses all its energy, and it becomes reduced down to a single point with such a massive amount of density that its gravitational pull becomes so strong that entire galaxies begin to orbit this object. In fact, not even light can escape the gravitational force of a black hole. That's a black hole. That's what they look like, apparently. Um, so to explain this a little bit deeper, that's a galaxy in the background. And so this black hole is closer to us than the galaxy is in the background. And so what's happening here is the light off of the galaxy is being distorted because of the black hole, which is, that's, that's cool stuff. Um, so anyway, to put that into perspective for you, light travels at 186,000 miles per second. This means that light could travel around the equator of the Earth seven and a half times in one second, which is crazy fast. Crazy fast. So for a second, I want you to think about this. Think about how massive these objects are out in space, these stars. And I want you to think, Scripture says that God put these stars in place. And so... He, He's setting these massive objects out in space. And then I want us to think about how small we are compared to these stars. I can get to my next page. There we go. So the reason I say all these things is to point us to the truth that our God is so, so big and mighty. And meditating on just how big these stars and planets are should should leave us in awe of what our, who our God is and what he's able to do. And not only that, but also think about when Job speaks, excuse me, when God speaks in Job 38. Now to give you a bit of context of the story of Job, Job was a righteous man who God allowed Satan to afflict in order to test his faith. And all throughout the book, God remained silent until chapter 38, when he finally speaks and he silences Job. And so chapter 38 starts like this. It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When all the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. 
And so later on in verse 18, God says, have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. So what we see here is that God is questioning Job's wisdom and knowledge. He's acknowledging the fact that only he himself, along with the Trinity, was present at creation. No one else. He and he alone is infinite in wisdom and knowledge. Who else can know the vastness and how great the universe is and beyond but our God? Scientists and astronomers have come a long way in their discovery of what's out there. But the truth is that no scientist, no piece of latest technology will ever know just how big the universe really is except the Lord. Now for just a second, I want to move forward a little bit and I want to look at Genesis 1.16. When God gives the sun and the moon the specific purpose of ruling over the day and ruling over the night. I love the word to rule here. The NIV translation of it is actually to govern, which I, I think I like even better. Now when we look at the point of verses 14 through 19, I think there's something to be said about the Lord and his sovereignty. If you think about the sun in relation to all the rest of creation, it really does have this ruling or this governing effect on creation. To include a little bit more science into the mix, we know that it's only by the sun's light and energy that plants are able to perform photosynthesis, which then provides food for animals, which then provides food for us, and not to mention also, um, without plants and trees, we would have no oxygen to breathe. And so on top of this, the sun also guides our every day. If you think about it, when the sun rises, we know that it's time to wake up and to begin our day. We know it's time to engage in work. When the sun sets, we know that it's time to start slowing down. After we're worn out and the sun goes down, we know it's time to sleep. It's time for us to lay down and rest for the night. Now with the rising and setting of the sun, we know what day it is. We know that every seventh time that the sun rises, that we're to gather with the church and engage in fellowship and worship, communion, teaching. So we see that the sun really does have this governing effect on all creation. Without it, we could not sustain and we'd have no idea when to do the things that we humans do. So in this sense, we see that God is our sovereign sustainer. We know that it's ultimately him who keeps the sun in place. It's him who sustains all things. Not only that, but he has brought order to time. And because of this, we know that God is a God who is consistent and able to be trusted. He's trustworthy. God is a never-changing God. I always imagine if I were one of the Israelites reading Genesis for the first time right before we were about to enter the promised land. This would likely have been one of the most reassuring attributes to me. To know that the God who created everything in the beginning that was with me in Egypt, that finally led me out of slavery in Egypt, that led me into the wilderness and was with me there, is the same God that is with me now as I was fearful about entering the promised land. Now what we've seen from God on day four is that he's great and mighty, he's infinite in wisdom and knowledge, he's our sovereign sustainer, and he's the same God from eternity past as he will be in the future of eternity. 
Now, if we all agree that all of Scripture points to the gospel of Jesus, then we must ask ourselves, how does this passage, how does day four of creation point to the gospel? What we've seen from day four is that God establishes this concept of time by creating the stars. And in Ephesians 1, we see that God had a plan for the fullness of time. In Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So even before the creation of the sun or time or anything for that matter, we know that, we know that God knew that man was going to fall into sin. But here we're told that God had a plan despite him knowing that sin would be involved, a plan which he set forth in Christ to unite all things in himself. And so I believe that one final attribute that we see from God on day four is that he's a planner. He's a detailed planner. He does not move forward or act without a plan. Thank God that he didn't create us knowing that we would sin without having a plan in mind first. And so one final thought I'll leave you with, and then I'll close us in prayer, and Spencer, you can come back us and lead, and lead us in communion, is Revelation 21. In this passage of scripture, we hear John talking about the new heaven and the new earth. And it's so glorious what we hear him talk about. Revelation 21, 22 through 27 reads like this. It says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. What we see here is remarkable because as humans, we know that we're so dependent upon the sun for the sustenance of life. But we read here in the new heaven and new earth is that there will no longer be any need for the sun. For the glory of the Lord will be our light. We'll, we'll be in such close proximity and communion and fellowship and inti intimacy with our Father that he is our light. Church, this is what Christ has accomplished for us. This is what we get to look forward to because of the work of Christ crucified on the cross. Let's pray together. 
Father, thank you once again for this morning. Thank you for day four of creation. And Lord, without words, even just by creation alone, it speaks volumes of who you are. And Father, I thank you that you have given us your creation to show us who you are, to marvel at what you've created, and to marvel even more at who you are. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning and the truth that it is, this hope that we have in Christ. Lord, thank you that we get to look forward to this new heaven and this new earth where there will be no sun. There's not gonna be a moon. There's not gonna be any, any night. For you are our light and our lamp. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for your son Jesus and what he's accomplished for us. I pray these things in your name. Amen.